Welcome to year two of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Matty Olchek to Bob Costas, Mike North to Pat Foley, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs since 1893. Find them on the web at ViennaBeef.com. And by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. Honored the legacy, pioneer the future. Visit them at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by Serenow Law Group, top-notch pros in reducing your rising real estate taxes. They're on the web at Serenow.com by BetUS, America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. Check them out at BetUS.com. And by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats in the Chicagoland area since 1949. Visit them at PolinaMarket.com. This week we featured the legendary and now retired longtime Chicago radio news anchor, Pat Cassidy. Why did I do it? I loved it. I, I just loved radio, I loved news, I loved being on the radio. I like being on the morning radio and uh, really became part of people's lives. And I talked a little when I retired, I heard from listeners, oh my goodness, for going back all, most of those years, 40 years and such, we've been listening and you're part of people's lives. Talk about been there, done that. Pat Cassidy was Chicago's radio news source for over 50 years. Whether it was a small station in Arlington Heights, to WLS, WMAQ, to WBBM, Cassidy's booming voice could be heard all across the Midwest delivering the news you needed to hear. And he did it most early mornings for most of his illustrious career. But he's a sports guy, too, playing a role in the Bears and White Sox broadcast while fancying himself as a pretty decent golfer. So, Pat Cassidy, tell me a story I don't know. First of all, thank you for calling me a pretty decent golfer. I, uh, <laughs> that's high praise. I, my goal is to break 100. Sometimes I break 90, uh, but uh, about an 18 handicap. So that's my hobby. But uh, George, it's, it's great to talk to you. And uh, my biggest challenge now is just getting my sleep patterns together because getting up around 2.30 for 51 years is, uh, is going to be a challenge to overcome. But we're working on it. And that's my biggest problem in life is life is pretty good. So I'm adapting by, you know, in, in baby steps, just a little bit at a time. But uh, so you know, try to go to bed a little later, but I still wake up at 2.30, bright-eyed, completely awake. Oh, Sometimes gosh. an hour or two, hour <laughs> two to get back to sleep. But then I do, and then I get up about eight. So um, I'm adapting very slowly, quite frankly. Nothing works. You know, I don't want to get all involved with taking you know, sleeping pills or, you know, having an extra cocktail at night. None of that stuff is a good idea. And uh, so I just got to have to do it on my own. So uh, it's a process. I'll leave it at that. So not a lot of fun, but that's okay. Are you happy it's over? I am. I am. I, I will say to this point, until recently, it kind of felt like I was on vacation. Recently, though, George, I do feel like I'm retired uh, because now I'm looking ahead, the weeks ahead and and my schedule is wide open. I can do whatever I want, which is <laughs> someone that someone is, didn't have my hours or, or hasn't had my schedule or anything like it. He said, well, I've always been able to do what I want. Well, I haven't. I've been so limited by my hours. But now I feel like I've retired and got you know, grandkids and I got my hobbies. and I bought a boat. 
and uh, new golf clubs. So there you I'm, go. I'm ready to go. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm feeling good about it. As this podcast mentions, we interview sports personalities with connections to Chicago. And while you're not, quote, a sports personality, you've been part of sports for your entire career. Let's take the Bears, for example. They've aired on WBBM for just about the entire time you've been there. And you did play a significant role, and most notably during the time Matt Nagy was head coach. Tell me a story. I don't know. Well, uh, just uh, recently, this is a very recent story. Uh, Matt Nagy uh, was does a Monday morning interview on WBBM. The Bears coaches always had, always had, and uh, you know his predecessor, the predecessor before him. That whole policy actually started with Ditka back in the day, and Gietta, if you'll remember. And Ditka was never had no filter, made news, and it became institutionalized, and we started doing it. So, uh, talking to Matt Nagy with Josh Liss, our sports director, he actually was the lead on that. I just kind of interjected a question. And uh, when we started the season this year, I talked to Ron Gleason. I said, you still want me to do this? I kind of feel like I'm in the way uh, asking a question and because Josh is doing serious sports. I says, absolutely, because you're not part of the sports fraternity, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You have credibility as a newsman and as a fan, but you're not you know, part of the fraternity. So you can basically ask what fans want to ask. Just you know, ask it in a respectful way, but fire away, man. And that's a good part of the interview. Okay. So that's what I did. This is my final question to you, Coach. I'm retiring at the end of the week here. I just wanted to ask you about uh, your view of the sports media in this town. You've been hammered pretty hard here in this pa- past year. I, I always understand, like I've always said from the day I started here and, and the rest of my career, that um, this is a profession um, as a head coach. There's 32 of them in the NFL. Um, and it's it's never always easy. First couple of games, Bears started okay, if you remember the start of the season, but then it was downhill, and oh my God, the games, and the Ravens lost, the Steelers lost, and the, oh, and you know, and, and the Packers own us. And so my questions became increasingly, I don't, I don't want to say caustic, but um, direct. And basically, I just asked Matt Nagy, who I really have a lot of respect for because he has guts. He got on the air and he answered the questions, as you know, George, you, you interviewed him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I just would ask him, you think you're going to get fired? How do you feel about uh, people chanting for your dismissal at your son's football game? Mm-hmm. And really direct stuff and sometimes very personal questions, as you can see here. And it really got a rise. The listeners responded. We started getting emails, calls, and Cassidy's really taking it to him. God bless him. He's this is what fans want to hear. The score picked it up. Bernstein over at the score. And of course, Layla Rahimi. I feel like Matt Nagy right now every Monday morning <laughs> listening to Pat Cassidy. Her <laughs> secret weapon has finally gotten here. And I'm just so thrilled to just sit and listen. I'm seriously starting. I'm just Aww. like this. Say more words. They started lifting my questions up and playing them on the score on Monday morning. <laughs> And uh, it kind of became a little, I don't know, mini Bears folk hero, if you will, because I was asking that direct questions. They played my tapes and we talked about it and all that. And uh, that's really where it was. I'm not sure how many people realize you really are a big sports fan and particularly a big Bears fan. I am. I I watch every game. Whether they win or lose, George, can affect my mood the next day. Maybe that's unusual. But if they lose, embarrassingly, 
I'm in a bad mood on Monday. <laughs> and, and vice versa, they went, I'm in a good mood. So yeah, been to many games. Uh, so Bears are my team. I'm a, I'm a diehard. And I've done a lot of things with the Bears we could talk about here over the years. Uh, so I've been involved in many ways with the Bears uh, team over the years. The NFL official films of the 85 Super Bowl Bears includes you, I don't think yeah. people know this, as the founder of the Fridge Perry Fan Club. Tell me a story I don't know. Well, Why did you get that thing started? Well, that, this is a story that actually has, has really never been told. So this is uh, fresh ground here. And uh, basically, it, we carried the Bears, as you mentioned. And uh, the morning after Fridge Perry scored a touchdown against the Packers, it was just a little two-yard uh, through the middle kind of thing. And he, he leveled one of the Packer linebackers. And the first time he carried the ball, the next morning on the air, I'm saying to the host of the show, uh, the, you know, I was kind of the newsman, co-host kind of guy. That guy, Fridge Perry, did you see that? Oh, man. I said, that guy is awesome. He needs a fan club. Well, sure enough, uh, a guy called me up, a PR man called me up and said, I agree. Let's organize a fan club. I, I said, well, I don't know anything about it. He says, look, I'll do all the heavy lifting. You be the figurehead. You be the spokesman. And Doug James, who was also the, uh, on the program with me, and we did, and it took off immediately. You know, Fridge was a folk hero, and he was really a, a big deal at that time. lot of fans he was a lovable guy lovable guy and a good player and uh we had the fridgets we formed them to be that you had to be at least a 300 pound woman as a cheerleader <laughs> we had the fridgets and we made appearances and the fridgets were doing their cheerleading and we did stuff with fridge himself and william perry he was the nicest sweetest man in the world and uh and it really took off so nfl films won the super bowl that year nfl films came to our studio and filmed us on the air talking about the Fridge Perry Fan Club, club that we founded. And, you know, yeah, I was the guy. And, and uh, so that's all. If you have NFL films, Super Bowl video, 85, you know something? I still hear about it to this day. People have that film. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com.
March Madness has begun and BetUS Sports is your home for the NCAA Tournament Plus, the NBA, NHL, UFC, and the PGA Tour. Sign up now and first-time bettors will get a 125% bonus with our promo code STORY22. That's STORY22. Future odds, live betting, and great parlay plays also await you at BetUS. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Go to BetUS.com and remember our code, STORY22. We return with Pat Cassidy on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. When you were with WMAQ, it went through a number of format changes, but for a while it featured some pretty good heavyweights with yourself, Tim Weigel, Jerry Taft, and the station carried the White Sox. How were you involved with them? With the White Sox, well, I hosted every Sunday morning the Eddie Einhorn Show. It was a talk show. Eddie was the star. I was the host, you know, the anchor man, and ran the show, so to speak. Um, and uh, that went on for for years. And he'd take fan questions, and uh, that really got me very involved, very close to the White Sox. And I had my run of Comiskey Park because, you know, Eddie was one of the owners, co-owners with Jerry. And I think everybody kind of felt I was tight with Eddie. So anything I wanted, I would get the best parking and the best seats and everything I wanted at Comiskey Park. So that kind of started it. And, uh, you know, I became involved with the White Sox and uh, did that show. That was, the, that was the main thing. And broadcast from there. Uh, I was there in 83, you know, when they uh, clinched. And yeah. And that is into shallow center. It's just for the run. Cruz tags. Here's the catch. Here comes the throw. Here comes Cruz. Western champions in the American League. And Eddie came in with Roland Heeman the, the morning after the celebration when they clinched the American League West. They clearly had been up all night and smelling like reeking of champagne on their clothes. May, may I interrupt you for just one moment? One of the, you know, that they now still hang at the yes. ballpark, Roland Heeman's champagne soaked suit. I was there. I think it's fabulous. And you're exactly right. And I was just going to say that. He wore that suit into the studio the next morning. He, he was up all night. And they looked terrible. They, their hair had gone in 10 different directions. And uh, I think they were partially hung over. I'm not going to make that accusation, but they they were loose. <laughs> and uh, uh, So that's, yeah, you're right. Roland's uh, suit is still up there. I did a lot of broadcasts from there. I'll never forget, uh, uh, we did a broadcast on opening day. This is when Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall were doing the game. Remember those days? I always thought one of the best broadcast combinations in the history of baseball in Chicago, in my opinion. Uh, certainly one of the most colorful. And, uh, and we did the broadcast there from the booth. And uh, there's a fridge in there that belonged to Harry. And in there, there was beers. And uh, one of the beers disappeared during the broadcast. Now, I won't claim any knowledge as to where, <laughs> but it disappeared. There was a whole bunch of bottles. There was a whole, there was not two or three. There was a bunch. Yeah. Harry had him counted. He knew someone had taken one of his beers and he was furious and demanded an investigation into who took his beer and uh, nothing ever came of it. But uh, I remember probably one of the biggest bloopers uh, ever in one of the biggest in, in Chicago, baseball play-by-play -play history, uh, we had very strict orders. The newsroom was never to interrupt the broadcast for uh, anything but the most severe of news bulletins. Uh, that was the marching orders. Well, one night, 
John Rooney, and I forget uh, who was with them at the time, were doing a, they're doing a Sox game. And well, now we're going to have to break away in the middle of the inning here because we have word of a very important news bulletin coming from the WMAQ newsroom. And we'll be back and recap what you've missed in the meantime. But let's switch now to the newsroom for this very important news bulletin, silence. All of a sudden, the theme from Andy of Mayberry starts playing. And the anchor came on and said, Aunt B is dead. Oh, you're kidding. Yes, the actress who played the beloved Aunt B. They uh, interrupted the program for that? <laughs> yes. And they, the whole time they read this, and it was only 30 seconds, but he read the obit of the actress. The whole time, the whistling theme was underneath the announcement. And now we go back to the White Sox game. They switch back to the game. Stunned silence in the booth. <laughs> you can tell Rudy and them didn't know what in the world had just happened. Uh, and they went, well, all right, so much for that important announcement. Let's get back to the game. And uh, needless to say, there was a lot of uh, fur flying in the newsroom after that one. Like, who did that? Who made that decision? So that, was, that was a pretty big boo-boo. I remember another time uh, after the post game, Jimmy Pearsall did a, a post-game phone show for a time, recapping the game or whatever. And uh, I was listening. I remember I was being on the tollway and uh, uh, listening. And Jimmy took a call from somebody on the air live through the radio on my dashboard, the most profanity, disgusting phone call I've ever heard on live radio. And this was before, you know, satellite, which you could say wherever you wanted. And this guy went off, disgusted, bodily functions, F-bombs, bah, 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 and went on for, it seemed like forever, probably was about 20 seconds. And then Pearsall kind of led him on and egged him on. And I'm thinking, what is going on? This is on the air on WMAQ, 50,000 watts. And uh, finally, he just hung up on him and said, all right, this is Pearsall saying on the air. No one heard that, right? That was all on delay, you cut that all out? Okay, good, because that, that was bad. No one heard that, okay. Uh, and he said, must, must have been a Cubs fan. And then presume, resumes the broadcast. Well, no, everyone did hear that on the air. <laughs> Every single word of it. I'm surprised we still have our license, but we did. So earlier I asked you how you are now adapting to not getting up at 2.30 in the morning. But how did you manage to do that for over 50 years? Why did you do it? Why did I do it? I loved it. I, I just loved radio. I love news. I love being on the radio. I like being on the morning radio and uh, really became part of people's lives. And I talked to live when I retired. I heard from listeners. Oh, my goodness. For going back all most of those years, 40 years and such, we'd been listening. And you're part of people's lives. And I always cherish that. I always will. And I always respected that. And uh, I just love the news. I like breaking news. It just gives me a rush telling people breaking bulletins and such. I mean, I don't mean Aunt B dying, something a little more significant. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, that, that really uh, gets me all charged up. And uh, so I just loved it and fell into a pattern. And you know what? I, 
I will say this is self-serving comment, but I, I've had program directors and bosses my whole career, and I've had many of them, as you have over the years. And most everyone said something like, Pat, you got the perfect morning radio sound. Your voice, the texture of your voice, the deepness of it, the, the cadence, whatever. You're a morning guy, and, uh, and you'll always be. And, you know, I think that's part of it, too. That would, I would just fit perfectly. And obviously, it was pretty successful at it for a, for a lot of years. You were, and you did it for 21 years with the same partner, Felicia Middlebrooks, who retired in 2020. Good morning. I'm Felicia Middlebrook. Traffic already slow on the Edens with the start of that road work. We'll update it in three minutes. Good morning. I'm Pat Cassidy. Yeah, that's right. Felicia and I, it was a forced marriage uh, in that, you know, she had a partner who retired, John Holtman. It's amazing how his voice held up perfectly and his stamina and energy and everything else into his 80s. But anyway, so Felicia and I got along okay uh, at first. And, uh, you know, I tried hard and she tried hard. And then 9-11 happened and that really changed the whole paradigm. And it made us uh, really a team and, and, of course, changed history in a lot of ways. So you have no idea right, right oh, now? Oh, there's another one. Another plane just hit. <gasps> Right. Oh, oh my God! Oh. Another plane has just hit. It hit another building. Oh. Flew right into the middle of it. Oh. Explosion. And the 9/11 story is uh, one I'm very proud of, George. We kept it together that day, um, and it was very hard. The emotions. Uh, all of us as Americans were devastated and shocked and crying. And if you remember that day, if you're old enough to remember that day, as maybe some of your listeners aren't, but it was a game changer. And all the CBS stations, eight of them or seven, whatever it was, all of them switched to us, BBM. I mean, the score and US 99 and XRT, they all broadcast us uh, because that obviously was the only story of the day and of that hour. And so we broadcast, and I remember the reading demos to the effect, the numbers affected well over 50% of Chicago listened to us that morning, Felicia and I, and the CBS Network News. And we, uh, we kept it together. I'll never forget Mark Shore, our traffic guy. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, Pete, the program director said, uh, and I happened to be running the board that day, so I was kind of in charge of the controls, so to speak. We switched off. And, and, and the, the boss said, forget traffic, forget commercials. He says, no, 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 no. Something's happening in traffic now that's never happened before. So I put him on, not knowing what the PD would say. And he said, yeah. Something happened. This is about eight o'clock in the morning. The inbound morning rush hour just turned around. It's now an outbound afternoon rush hour at eight wow. o'clock in the morning. Everybody coming downtown, most everybody said, I'm not going downtown. Mm. There's a Sears Tower. There's skyscrapers there. We don't know what's going to happen. They all turned around and left. Not to mention people downtown went home. So eight o'clock in the morning, there was a full-blown mid-afternoon rush hour in Chicago on the morning of 9-11. And it just kind of indicates the emotion, the panic, if you will, of Chicago that day. We got through the morning, got off the air at 10 o'clock. I walked down the hall and I cried. I had to let it go. And uh, just all that emotion and everything. But uh, a big day uh, in Chicago radio history in that regard. And uh, certainly in my career, the biggest news day of my, my life was that day.
Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's consider some of the other major events that you were on the air for. It's countless. I'll mention a few, and I'm sure there are others. Uh, Jane Byrne and Harold Washington becoming mayors of the city of Chicago. Oh, when, yeah. when Reagan was shot, the shuttle disaster, record blizzards and heat waves. Absolutely true. Everything you just said. Uh, and, and some of them occurred in the morning and some of them occurred later in the day. There's other ones uh, pulling bodies out of uh, John Gacy's house, the basement. Oh, my, yeah. Uh, crash of Flight 191 at O'Hare Airport. It was 1979, uh, I believe. This is WBBM Chicago News Radio 78. One minute, 10 seconds after the hour of six, we are abandoning our network service, abandoning our log at WBBM. Well, I'm Len Walter. And I'm Dale McCarran. One witness to the crash saying that immediately after the takeoff, about 15 seconds, part of the left engine blew. There was a loud rumbling noise. I got up from my desk and I could see this plane hovering going from side to side. And then it just kind of did a nosedive. And uh, there was that. And there was, it's, it's just, the list is just, huge of the number of uh, news events that I anchored, covered, and, uh, and all of them made an impression. And it's really, it's hard to really even sort it all out because there were so many after all these years. Um, but uh, yeah, I was there. And I think that helped bond me and I don't know, endeared me to a lot of the audience because I was there for them. And, you know, I was their guy. And I was their news anchor man that covered that and they relied on me. You're the guy that holds it all together and, uh, and, you know, brings on this reporter here and brings on that sportscaster there and so on and so forth. And uh, so you got to keep your wits about you and you got to, you got to stay focused and engaged really for every minute, uh, because I'll tell you this, quite frankly, the minute you let your mind wander or get distracted, something screws up. And that's happened to me, of course, <laughs> over the years, scores of times, uh, because I'm only human. But uh, you gotta, you gotta stay, stay focused uh, into what's happening and stay informed. That's uh, I've always been a big news junkie, and uh, and I stay informed on many different subjects. I always tell people, I I know more about different subjects than probably anyone you know. I mean, I know more about you name it: sports, entertainment, news, business, blah blah, crime, law, politics. I know a little bit about everything. But you know what? I'm an expert in nothing because I, I, I'm just, I'm an anchor man. I just know a little bit about everything. And you are in charge and you're the final editor. You know, there's an editor that, that, you know, uh, you know, gives you the information and writers, reporters, 
but you're the guy or the woman, as it were, to, um, to present it to the audience. You're the final editor and you decide. There's things I decide, this has gone too long. We got to cut this off and I cut it off. Or I'll elevate something that I think is more important than maybe the newsroom does, and I do. Or uh, maybe it's something funny that I want to get on the air, doggone it, so I'll squeeze it in there. Um, but that's what an anchor man does. I don't know. He's uh, he's the MC, so to speak. He runs the show. Prior to your long run at WBBM, you were also at the aforementioned WMAQ, which of course became a competitor of WBBM. So there were two news radio stations in the market. And that had to be an interesting, I mean, you hadn't been at BBM yet, but here you are, you're one of the anchors who's trying to unseat the big guy. First with news, this is All News 67, WMAQ. Forty-two degrees, light rain in Chicago at eight o'clock on this Thursday, the eighth of February. I'm Pat Cassidy, and here's what's happening. Absolutely, I was the morning anchor. Uh, like I said, I've always been in the morning, but I was morning co-anchor at MAQ, and yeah, they were they we they had a bullseye on their back as far as we were concerned. It was owned by Westinghouse for a time. It worked for NBC and then sold it to Westinghouse, which had a very strong track record of all news wins in New York, uh, KYW. Uh, throughout the country, a lot of very successful Westinghouse all-news operations. And they didn't do anything in Chicago until they bought MAQ. Then they implemented the, the Westinghouse, uh, give us 22 minutes, we'll give you the world. Yep. And uh, we did traffic on the ones, which BBM immediately copied the traffic together on the eights. Yep. Uh, but we were first with that. And uh, we tried to take a little different tact and speed was our thing. We got it on the air. That really ticked off a lot of people at BBM because we were beating them to the punch on a lot of stories because they didn't have any competition. So they, they weren't lazy. I would never say that. But they, they would take time to vet things, which is important to vet. But they were, there was no urgency. We made BBM better. And they told us that. And when I got there, they said, you know what? You guys made us better because you held our feet to the fire. You were competition. And mornings did pretty well at MAQ. We never, we never beat them, uh, Felicia and John Holtman, but we came close. We were always in the top five or six in morning drive uh, for a long time. Before that, it was talk for a period. Mort Downey Jr., you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I worked with him. Chet Coppock did a program with us. And, of course, everybody remembers Chet. Uh, a lot of other people that I worked with there in the talk phase. And the country music before that, that's where Jerry Tapp. That's right. Tim Weigel. And we were doing country music, very successful station, when country music was still very good on AM radio. And we were hit. We were a top, top station for a lot of years. We called the Good Morning Guys. Yes. And they did commercial TV commercials. And our faces are on bus billboards. And, and you name it, we were the thing for a lot of time. Met Larry Lujak once in the Bart Aragon Ballroom. And when I was young, and uh, introduced myself. And he said, I know who you are. I said, oh. Yeah, Larry, well, it's honored to meet you. And says, yeah, so you guys think you're pretty good, huh? Well, you know, we're trying. And how long have you been doing this? I said, yeah, I've been with him for a couple of years now. He said, you won't last. I said, thanks, Larry. <laughs> I don't know if he was being Larry or was being serious, but uh, that was my first introduction to the great, late, great Larry Lujak. Uh, but uh, that was MAQ Country Music. Before that, I worked at uh, 
WBMX, an urban station. Yes. Right, you ready for this story? I'm ready. This is something you, this hasn't been on the air before. This truly is something that you don't know. Uh, this is, uh, and I'm going to keep it respectful and clean it up and make it as politically correct as I can, because this is an egregious radio boo-boo. I mean, this is, a, this is a major mistake. This could be one of the worst egregious mistakes in Chicago radio history, and that's not hyperbole. You sure you want to hear this story, George? Is this a mistake that you made? Yes. Oh, yeah. by all means, Mr. Cassidy. Okay. Now, let me preface it <laughs> by saying this is a doozy. It couldn't happen today, I don't think. This was early 70s, early 70s, working for a rock station, WGLD, did the morning news. Rock and roll staff was all white, if I remember, including me, obviously. They switched to an urban format, which is black, uh, and fired everybody. Me too. They called me up a couple of days later and said, you'd like to talk to you about, you know, being the news, morning newsman again. I said, oh, Okay, well, you know, I'm not, uh, he said, we know you're not, uh, but we still like to talk to you. You can't have an all-black staff anymore than you have an all-white staff. You're well-respected and we hear great things. So I talked to them. They hired me. I did the morning news there at WBMX. Again, an all-black station. I was the only white guy on the air there. But I, was, I thought it was fascinating, and I loved it. Well, part of my job after I got off the air was to record commercials. Production, you know, you know about that. We've been doing yep. it, we still did it. And we had an automated system. We did a commercial, you put it on the cart, put it in the carousel, it played. And it wasn't like someone was there doing it live or even running a board. There was a DJ there live. It was in an automated system, kind of ran by itself. Well, again, let me preface this by saying, this is not my heart. This is, if you know, know me, you know, this is not Pat Cassidy. But I recorded a commercial for a play called The River Niger, N-I-G-E-R. Oh, no. Yeah, I think you know where this is going to go. Oh, no. And I recorded it, and I don't know, I, I'd never heard of Niger, N-I-G-E-R. It's a country in Africa, and there's a river, the River Niger. And you know, there was no pronunciation guide on this copy, so I thought it was pronounced the N-word which I will not say. It's an offensive, gross word, and I don't use it myself. I agree. It's hurtful, and we will not say it today. But your listeners know what that is. And I read the commercial as such. Critics rave about the River Niger. But I didn't say Niger. You get my drift. Uh, your whole family will enjoy the River Niger. Oh. Uh, and so on and so forth. And I recorded the commercial like that. Put it in this carousel. Went back. Didn't give it a second thought. Went back. Did production. Half an hour later, the boss came in, Booty Ronald's his name, black man, talking to himself, talking to the ceiling, saying, man, I don't know what. We're on the air with this format for three days. Somebody's saying the N-word on the air here. We're getting calls, and I don't know who it is. I don't know what's going on. I said, oh, my God, that's terrible. That's horrible, Rudy. I think, ah. all I can think of is I did the commercial this morning for that play, The River Niger, but you can't didn't use that word. He said, what? Yeah, it's not, it's, it's Niger, not what you said, you idiot. <sighs> he runs upstairs, pulls the cart out of the machine. I'll never forget the tape spilling all over the floor. And I got called to the boss's office, and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm about to get fired. And we went in, talked. The boss, the general manager's blacker, but he blacks at me. And uh, 
And I could see there was almost a tiny little smile in their corner of their mm. mouth, tiny, because they, <laughs> even though it was a terrible event for the radio station, they knew me, they could tell by my naivete and my stupidity, it was not malicious. It was a complete accident. And they didn't fire me. And I stayed and continued working there for the next year and a half, two years. And, and it will go down in history. I counted it up a number of times. That commercial ran a number of times. I said that word, that horrible word in that commercial. And I said the N-word on an all-black radio station in Chicago over 30 times and lived a terrible about it. My career flourished after that, and, and it almost got derailed right there. So if that's not the most egregious uh, mistake in Chicago radio history, it's certainly in the top two or three, wouldn't you say? I knew you were, you were going kind of from the beginning there, and yes, I would have to agree with you. That is about as bad as it gets. I mean, seriously, I couldn't believe that. I know. People, oh my. people told that story, that station for years. They might still. Would you like to save money? <laughs> Who wouldn't? How about saving money on your real estate taxes? I have and did so thanks to Serenal Law Group, accomplished professionals ready to put money back in your pocket. All Chicago properties were reassessed by the Cook County Assessor's Office, and some of you got eye-opening increases. Serenal Law Group has the ability to lower that. The deadline to file your 2021 appeal is 30 days after your township opens for appeals at the Board of Review, so don't waste a minute contacting Serenal Law Group so you can save. There are no fees, so you don't have to pay a dime unless they save you money. And take it from me, they've saved me thousands. And they do it in a professional and friendly manner that makes your life a whole lot easier. Serenal Law Group handles appeals throughout the greater Chicagoland area from residential, commercial, or industrial property. They're ready to fight on your behalf, so you don't pay more than your fair share. Visit their website, serenow.com, that's S-A-R-A-N-O-W, or call them at 312-373-0015. Mention promo code OFFMAN, that's O-F-M-A-N, to get a discounted fee on your 2021 property tax appeal. Contact Serenow Law Group, S-A-R-A-N-O-W, and start saving. So we have the N-word story, which is really, really hard to top. But you had another story that basically put your life in danger. There was a time I was driving downtown on the Eisenhower Expressway. This is 2003. Nature called. And no, nature was screaming at me, not calling. I had to pull over at the gas station. I was going to make it downtown. Sorry. So I pulled the gas pump, got some gas pump in the men's room, came out, and there was a man standing there with a 38 caliber polished chrome pistol in my chest. Oh. Uh, he said, uh, let's go back to the bathroom. Uh, what? He said, no, let's go back in the bathroom. I said, uh, I know you're robbing me. And no, I, I'm not going to go back in there. I have to have my wallet. Here's my wallet. And I brushed past him. And, and George, I'll tell you, for, I had my back to him for about 10, 15 seconds. I didn't know my life, you know, passed in front of my eyes. I Thought I was going to get shot in the back of the head. I didn't know. Obviously, I didn't. And uh, he ran off with my wallet. And they called the cops. And, you know, I tried to go to a lineup. It was in Broadview. I did a police lineup. I tried to go downtown to work. And, and Jim Bennis, our editor, said, you're not going on the yard. Not after that. It's, I could hear it in your voice. Talk to the police. Stay away. Lineup produced nothing. 
Uh, I mean, everybody, I couldn't have picked anybody out. I mean, it was lighted. The gas station was well lit, but he had a hat on. So the cops came to my house a few days later. Can we talk to you again? I got some more pictures for you. I said, okay. Showed his pictures. First one they showed me, said, that's the guy. Said, that's what we thought. He robbed a guy just like you across the street two days after you. Oh, boy. So we went. We did court. I testified. And I did a lineup. You ever done a lineup, George? Ooh. I have not, no. There you have the, you know, the two-way glass, and you're sitting in there, and they bring out people, suspects. And before he came out, I said to the cop, I said, you know, it's my word against his. I got to tell you. He said, I can't lead you or steer you. All I can say is we found that your mind takes a picture of traumatic events. And if we got them, it's probably going to click instantly if we got them. If we don't got them, you got to go any money more. We don't got them. I said, okay, brought them out. Sure enough, the second guy in the line, I said, that's him. He said, that's our, that's our guy. Uh, that was, uh, if you ever had a gun in your chest, which there's a presumption is loaded, uh, that'll stay with you. So that was another one of my morning experiences driving down. Well, from, uh, from Niger, if we shall say, to having a gun at your chest, these are definitely very interesting stories. I, I wanted you to know that I was also, of course, at, at MAQ All News the second year they were on and with my favorite boss of all time, Scott Herman. Sure, and a uh, wonderful guy. And I was yeah. also very lucky to work at WBBM for 10 years. And occasionally I did do the morning shift. And I think I said the same thing when I would walk in the booth around 513. I would say, it's still dark out. <laughs> Why am I saying morning by the dawn's early light? It's always dark. 12 months a year, it's always dark. And my sign-on line, I always signed on, Pat Cassidy, by the dawn's early light. And uh, I actually had a listener once, you, hard to believe, but said, Pat, I love that, by the dawn's early light. Did you make that up? Where did you get that line? <laughs> really? Is that, sir, is that a, a real question you're asking me? And he said, yeah. And it's the national anthem, sir. Oh, <laughs> but, gosh. Anyway, so by the dawn's early light. During your time there, you were also involved in events. You did a telethon during the Christmas season for a number of years, and you also teamed up with Felicia to host so many air and water shows, which was extremely popular on the air. You, you weren't just a morning anchor. Hey, Pat, yeah. don't you hate it when company comes in unexpectedly? You yes. know, you got everything all set up, like and it. you know, you don't like it very much. Whoa. Well, how about when we come in at 700 miles an hour? No, that's true. They were, they were radio thoughts, actually. And uh, I did it with uh, the uh, uh, Chicago Anti-Hunger Federation, which was a spinoff from uh, the late Eddie Schwartz, who started that. 800-778-5900, donation. All right, it's all it'll take. And, of course, you're doing it for a good cause. The Anti-Hunger Federation, stocking food pantries in Chicago and the suburbs. And the need, greater than ever before. You know the news. That's why you listen to BBM. You know the need is greater. 800-778-5900. There's those phones ringing now. So we did that for many years. And I raised millions and millions of dollars, literally for charity via the Radiothon with Felicia part of the time and part of the time with others, part of the time by myself. Um, and uh, in fact, most of the time by myself, frankly. And uh, did that, the air and water show. There was a pers person that was really the color man that was really important element, a guy named Chris Harbermill, who uh, was our color man. And he was just got rehired just the last couple of days by Channel 2. So he's back in the helicopter uh, with Channel 2 in the morning. And uh chris habermill is a part of that and we were there for a couple of the uh, couple of the tragedies of the air and water show and remember the golden knights 
uh, and a member of the uh, Navy uh, Leapfrogs, the two parachutists collided in midair yeah. and knocked out the Golden Knight. And he just, he couldn't, he was unconscious and he came down. His parachute took him where he wanted, he wanted to go because he couldn't steer it. And he hit a building and was killed. Yeah. Um, and another time when two of the Thunderbirds clipped wings and uh, one, of the, one of the, part of the wing fell off into the city and no one was hurt. And the plane didn't come down, but they had to send them back. Of course, we couldn't continue with that. I remember Peanut Tillman, they always had a celebrity parachute, uh, down to open the show, and Peanut Tillman did once, and I always interviewed him, and he got in the boot up in the, the platform at North, North Avenue where we were, and his eyes were like saucers. Peanut, <laughs> so how was that? Oh, man, what an experience. Well, tell me, what's it like? Kick off of an NFL game, the adrenaline there, or that flight, uh, a parachute. He said, no comparison, man. Parachute is twice as adrenaline hit as the NFL. Wow. Uh, he was... He was really pumped. Uh, so uh, there was a lot of experiences, a lot, lot happening at the Air and Water Show. And I'll miss did a lot of those over the years, too. So what's next for Pat Cassidy? Are we working on the golf game or do we somehow see a return to radio? I don't know. Uh, can I be completely candid with you and your audience? I think the technical side of running the board and the computer side was starting to get away from me a little bit in the final couple of years of BBM. I was keeping up, but I couldn't troubleshoot anything. If something broke, I had a terrible time, uh, you know, ad-libbing around it and winging it because it wasn't intuitive to me. And I think is, and just, you know, it's morphing so quickly, the technical side of the computers and everything that six months from now, even I, I might not even recognize it. I don't know that I could do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so there's that. Um, so I don't know. I may do. Uh, there's mentioned talk of maybe being spokesman for a commercial uh, uh, here and there, and maybe that. Um, but I'm, I told you, I think at the offset, or maybe we we're not in the air at this point. But I bought new golf clubs and I bought a boat, fishing boat. So I think I'm going to be doing that for the time being. And being and uh, grandparents, see the grandkids traveling, and uh, and like I said at the onset, George, sleep. That's my main challenge. <laughs> Get some sounds, darn sleep. Sounds like a fabulous plan. I, I asked this final question to all my guests, Pat. If not for the news business, what would you have been? Wow. I don't know. I, I think, you mean broadcast news? I mean, I studied journalism in college. I like print in the high school newspaper and college, you know. So I think something along the print. So I think the answer would be the news business of some kind. Um, but I, cer I certainly couldn't be a teaching golf pro, that's for sure. <laughs> I think it's very safe to say, Pat, you have been such a credit to, to our industry. And it was not just my pleasure, but an honor to work with you. Thank you, Pat Cassidy, for telling me a story I don't know. George, you are you never, never let it uh, escape your consciousness. The role you played in the history of radio in this town and sports, you're an institution too. And it's an honor to be on your program. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you, Pat. My thanks to WBBM News Radio, the late and great WMAQ All News, the CBS Radio Network, NBC Sports, the late and great Sports Channel, and the Andy Griffith Show for those very memorable highlights.
And as always, a big thanks to TJ Rees for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his fine mixing and editing, and Nick Tochi for our great graphics. And to our generous sponsors, Serenal Law Group, top-notch pros who will save you money on your real estate taxes, Dynamic Manufacturing, Honor the Legacy, Pioneer the Future, and the Vienna Beef Company, home of the iconic Chicago hot dog since 1893. By BetUS, a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, and the Polina Market, top purveyors of the finest meats and much more. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.